Good morning, Four Mile. Good to see you guys. Everybody looking good this morning? Welcome to those of you joining us online. So today, we're going to hit this issue, corrupt talk. Now, it's a little bit unlike all the other stuff that we've looked at, because I don't think I need to convince you this morning that every one of us uses our mouths for corrupt talk sometimes. Um, but it's also important because as we look at this, this really is kind of the culmination of Paul's teaching, these four specific topics that he's been covering to help us see very clearly what it means whenever we are born again, we've placed our faith in Jesus, and we have to start living life differently. We have to put off the old stuff, and we got to put on the new stuff. And it's important that we do that. So if you missed any of these previous weeks, strongly encourage you to go check them out online. We know it's the summertime. We know people are busy traveling all over the place. Um, but it's a great opportunity. We're blessed to have this technology, this innovation um, in our church to be able to record these sermons. So strongly encourage you. It's about 20, 22 minutes. It's a lunch break, not even a lunch break for most people. Um, check it out during the week. Just stay caught up with these, if at all possible, but especially this series we've been in right now, these past four, because we simply can't continue to live the way we live before we were born again. We can't continue to live a life of lies, allow anger to lead to sin, to steal, and to engage in corrupt talk. And what we all learned the past three weeks, I hope, is that this is really challenging stuff. Being born again is not easy. And that's because we're surrounded by a world that revels in this stuff. And if we resist it, we're going to stand out for sure. And here's the thing, though, I want everyone to remember, is that we aren't cleaning ourselves up. We aren't doing these things in order to work our way into heaven. It's because we're already going to heaven. It's because we're already born again that we must then respond by doing the things that we're called to do. So that's basically the, the main point that I hope we all keep in the back of our heads as we're working through these. Because when we're born again, we receive the most amazing gift. The Holy Spirit indwells us and he sanctifies us, meaning he's always convicting, counseling, comforting, and calling us to become more holy. And he does that for God's glory alone. That's why we can't stand wearing those nasty old clothes anymore. We desire new ones, new ones, that allow us to glorify God. So if we're still engaging in the things of the old self, if we still find that self compelling in our life, it may actually be significant cause for concern. Perhaps we're just going through the motions with this whole church thing. Maybe it's just the case that we're checking a block because if we're not putting off all of the sin in our lives, we might actually not be born again or it could be the case that we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And that's something Paul's gonna teach us on in just a couple of weeks. You're not gonna to wanna to miss that particular sermon. Now, before we dive in, I wanna remind us of this distinction we made last week about different voices we hear. The voice of accusation and the voice of conviction. And it's important because the material of the last four weeks can no doubt be a little unsettling in our lives because we actually don't think we have a problem until we start looking at it and then we realize, oh, I actually do have an issue with lies. I actually do have an issue with stealing. And so as we work to kill the different sin in our lives, the enemy is most certainly going to step up his game and his attacks on us. 
And it's why we need to make really sure that we're clear about the difference between the voice of accusation and the voice of conviction. Accusation is from the devil. It's based on lies. It rejects repentance and forgiveness, and it fosters despair. Those are the four ways to look at. Whenever you feel that way, you are probably hearing the voice of accusation. The accuser says, you're a mess. He says, you're worthless. You cannot put off the old self, and you certainly cannot put on the new self. There is no way you'll ever be good enough to get into heaven. It's a voice that causes shame in our lives, and it's a voice that steals our hope. But conviction is from the Holy Spirit. It's based on truth. It leads to repentance and forgiveness, and it builds hope. The voice of the Holy Spirit says, that old self is awful. It's foul stuff. But you're not like that anymore. You've been born again. And so he counsels you to put off the old self and comforts you as you put on the new self. The Holy Spirit is always about the business of encouraging, strengthening, and building us up in hope. We must learn to distinguish between these two voices. I also want to highlight an important principle that underlies each of these four examples that Paul uses. It's a key concept in decision theory, and it's called opportunity cost. It's an economic term, meaning the, vo- the value of the next best option. Anytime we make a decision, anytime in our life, we actually use this all the time, we evaluate our leading choice against the opportunity cost or the value of the next best option. For example, we place a certain value on an apple. Let's say we give that a value of 10. Well, let's compare that to our next best option, which we'll say is an orange. If the value of that orange is an eight, then we take the apple because it is greater than the orange. However, if that orange happens to have the value of 12, we take the orange over the apple. And that's what we do every time we're in the grocery store. Everything we do, whenever we make decisions, we compare what we have with the value of the next best option. So as Paul exhorts us to put off the old self and put on the new self, he's appealing to this particular principle. So let's look at it in the context of our speech, which is our topic for today. The theory goes like this. There are only so many hours in a day in which we can talk. We'll allow everybody to sleep eight hours, so we'll assume we each have 16 hours in which we can be talking. Now, you can spend that time speaking 16 hours of corrupt talk, like at point A up there, with zero hours of building up talk. Or you can do some mix, maybe eight hours of corrupt talk and eight hours of building up talk, anywhere in between. But what Paul is telling us is that we must move to point C where our talk is all building up talk, all 16 hours of us running our mouth during the day is building up talk. Because the value of building up talk far exceeds the value of corrupt talk. And since we are resource constrained, there's only so many hours in a day, we gotta make choices. We could spend that time on corrupt talk, or building up talk. And the same thing goes with lying or anger or stealing or all the other things we've looked at the last couple of weeks. And so Paul is exhorting us to put off spending any time on old self stuff. Because every minute we spend on old self stuff takes away from the new self stuff. And the value of the new self stuff far exceeds that 
of the old self stuff, as Paul is going to show us today. Okay, so let's jump into our text. Paul writes, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. So just like the others, Paul uses the exact same approach. He makes three points. First, he starts with what we're supposed to put off, and we're supposed to put off corrupt talk, destructive words that come out of our mouths. Second, we've got to put something on, speaking words that build up. And then third, he gives us the reason why, so that it may give grace to those who hear it. So let's break these down like we normally do. We'll do them in turn. First, we need to put off corrupting talk. Now, we probably all know what we mean when we say corrupt talk, but these are the words from the original language. Rotten, filthy, putrefied, worthless, inflames lust, crass, destructive, and unfit. And that's why that pot of poo that we keep referring to up there is so appropriate, because it is actually the language Paul is talking about. Corrupt talk is sinful, it's nasty, it's foul stuff, and we simply need to start seeing our sin for what it is. It's stuff that's we, it's repulsive to us. We need to put it off. And unfortunately, we all know how prone that stuff is to actually spew out of our mouths far too often. Of course, we've all seen it in movies. We see it in the workplace. It usually happens whenever somebody loses their cool. It just starts to come out. I had a boss one time. He was particularly gifted at this. He could use the F word as a noun, a verb, an adjective, and an adverb, and he could use it all in the same sentence. He was very gifted in that regard. And then there's spaces, like locker rooms, where this kind of corrupt language is actually celebrated. But here's the thing. It goes well beyond cursing outbursts and well beyond locker room talk. It's in our everyday, ordinary speech. It's in the subtle words that hurt people, the gossip, boasting, slandering, manipulating, destroying, hush tones, whispers, qualifying our language with words like, I just heard, I don't know if it's true about so-and-so. And we hear that kind of talk all the time. And we know how nasty it is, especially when it's done to us. It's outright destructive talk, isn't it? James, the brother of Jesus, compares the tongue to the rudder of a ship. Although it is comparatively small, it steers the great vessel. Listen to how James describes it. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. What a great descriptor. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James makes it about as clear as he possibly can, doesn't he? Our tongues are the source of so much sin in our lives. So James and Paul are essentially teaching the same thing here. We must put off that nasty, foul, 
corrupt talk. But here's the thing, just like the others that we studied, we become so numb to it that we don't even see that we're doing it. So just like the others, we're going to take a look at three indicators that Martin Lloyd-Jones gives us to see if we have a problem with our tongue. First, if we are an excessive talker. Think about that for a minute. Are you an excessive talker? Completely out of control when we speak. We're actually never quite sure what's coming out. We just know we must dominate the airwaves. There's rarely a point to anything that we say, just incessant babble, unaware of the need for punctuation. And I know many of you right now are thinking, well, maybe that's not me, but I do know some people like that in my life. They repeat everything two, three, four, five times. It's why people avoid us at all costs, so we don't pin them down. Because we clearly lack the awareness that the good Lord gave us one mouth and two ears for a reason, so that we would use them proportionally. We may have a tongue problem if we talk excessively. Second, if we always talk about ourselves, our latest medical affliction, our grandkids, our neighbors, things that no one else cares about because we just can't seem to get over ourselves. Not even once considering the poor person who has to suffer through listening to us talk about our cat and where our cat likes to take a nap in the middle of the day. Anybody interested in that? I know I don't have time to hear about your neighbor's cousin's boyfriend who lives in Tampa. Honestly, it may mean something to you, but I could care less. I don't want to hear about it. You guys know what I'm talking about now? I hope so. This has probably been the biggest transition for me as a pastor, because in the military, you just get it out. You go, you're busy, you're working. But as a pastor, it's your job to listen to people, and they just go on and on and on sometimes. And I'm looking at my watch and nodding, acting like I'm somewhat interested. But ultimately, I think we all have this issue. Um, I know I'm probably guilty of this as well. Some of you are like, geez, you just go on and on all the time too. Anyway, we must learn to get over ourselves. And then third, if our talk is destructive in nature, always negative, always a downer, to the point where we can find the 2% of bad in absolutely everything, grumbling, complaining, gossiping, being self-righteously critical, to the point where we believe we're qualified to speak about it all as an unqualified expert. It's the discourse of network news these days. Everyone's a moron. Can you believe what he did? Judgmental, manipulative, and when we fill our ears with it all day long, we start to do it too. It's not only unhelpful talk, it's destructive. It sets on fire, it's restless evil, and it's full of deadly poison, as James says. And Paul says, knock it off, put it away, put something else on instead. Speak only words that are good for building up, as fits the occasion. Now what a stark contrast that is to corrupting talk. When we look at what building up talk means in the original language, it refers to words that are useful, excellent, honorable, upright, edifying, promoting growth in holiness. 
as opposed to rotten, filthy, putrefied, worthless, inflaming lust, crass, destructive, and unfit words. It's important that we look at those two lists and contrast those in our head. You see, building up talk is how those who've been born again are supposed to speak all the time, meaning point C up there. That's why Paul used the word only. We're to only speak this way all day, every day, as is good for building up. But building up who? Other people. So this is not about us running our mouths, talking about our lives, trying to build ourselves up. No, this is other people-focused language, using our tongues to help build others up. And our words are to fit the occasion, meaning we must be perceptive about others, assessing what it is that they need. Well, to know that, we'd have to be listening with our two ears. We'd have to be engaged in conversation that was about them and not about us. We'd have to be asking them questions, trying to understand what they're going through, perceiving how it is that they need to be built up, how it is that they need to be encouraged. Maybe it's by a word of affirmation. Maybe it's by pointing them to the truth of Scripture. It could be a word of caution or a word of admonishment, but always, of course, done with grace and with love. Now, I particularly like that last description of building up talk, promoting growth in holiness. That's the whole growing up thing that Paul's been on about now for weeks, because that's the path we're on when we're born again. It's the path to holiness, to becoming more like Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, he does so in the context of the church or in the context of others who also have been born again. You see, we sharpen each other by encouraging and building each other up in Christ, in unity, and in holiness. And just like last week, Paul is speaking to yet another one of our pillars, the building each other up in Christ pillar, which focuses on exhorting, affirming, and encouraging. It was vital to the early church, and it's every bit as vital today. And here's why. Check out this very specific and exciting reason why Paul gives us as to why we must change our speech. So that our words may give grace to those who hear them. So that our words may give grace to those who hear them. So our words can actually give grace. Remember, we're saved by grace. So this is pretty exciting stuff here. It's why the value of building up exceeds the value of corrupt talk, because it has eternal consequences. We can either speak words that corrupt and send people one direction, or we can speak words that build up and send people another direction. Hopefully you recall from Ephesians chapter 2 that grace is unmerited favor, getting something that we don't deserve. It is a gift. In fact, the original word for grace is charis, which means it's a gift that results in joy, pleasure, delight, and goodwill. And it's a gift that strengthens others in their Christian faith. Every one of us has the need to be built up and strengthened in grace. In fact, if you've been born again, it's actually one of your greatest needs. What if we chose to use our tongues for that? We're giving grace to those 
along the path to holiness? What if we chose to stop babbling, using words that are focused on ourselves, or using destructive words? And what if we instead chose to speak words that resulted in true joy, pleasure, delight, and goodwill? You see, it's a choice we have as to how we will use our tongues to corrupt others or to build them up. Think about that for a moment. We must stop taking this amazing gift of language lightly. We often think about gifts of intelligence or athletic ability or musical talent, but speaking is also a gift, and every one of us have the gift. It's been given to us as a gift for us to use as a gift to give to others, as a gift of grace. So we must learn to use our words well because we have the opportunity to give the gift of grace with the words we choose this very day. When we walk out of here, we have the opportunity for the rest of our lives to be giving this gift of grace. What amazing opportunity we have. But it's not just today, it's each and every day we wake up. So we gotta stop missing out on it. And we do it for God's glory alone. Remember, that's what changes when we're born again. We start putting off anything that detracts from God's glory and we start putting on everything that builds up God's glory. After all, the objective of holiness is thinking, speaking, and acting in ways that bring God's glory alone. So there's a significant opportunity cost to every minute we engage in corrupt talk, because that is a minute we could have been used for building others up, giving grace to those who hear it. And I hope this strikes you the way it strikes me, because I look back and I think about all the opportunities that I've wasted as a boss, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a parent, as a spouse, all the corrupt talk, all these years that has come out of my mouth. There's nothing I can do about it. All I can do at this point, I can't take it back just like none of you can take it back from your lives. But what we can do is that we can repent and we can turn from it. So if you're like me, I don't want to waste another minute with corrupt talk. I want to do as Paul says here, use my tongue only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, so that it may give grace to those who hear it. Because as Paul teaches here, our words can actually have eternal consequences. So what a teaching for us to bring with us to the communion table, where we celebrate our new life in Christ. So we're going to gather at the foot of the cross this morning to contemplate the depths of what it means to be born again especially with regard to our speech. As the writer of Hebrews reminds us, there's never been the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And under the new covenant, Christ's blood serves as the means to our forgiveness. And that's why before Jesus went to the cross to shed his blood for us, he had a meal with his disciples, instituting communion between God and his people for all time. And the apostle Paul instructs us to examine ourselves before we receive the elements. And we're not examining ourselves to see whether or not we're worthy, because none of us are worthy, but rather we're examining ourselves to make sure we've gone before him in humility, totally dependent on his grace and in pursuit of holiness. So let's take a few moments in the quiet of our hearts 
Spend some personal time talking to the Lord a little about our corrupt speech. Let's confess those sins, accept his forgiveness, and recommit ourselves in humble obedience to his word.